Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, to make it easier for you to stay current and informed on real-world practical research in the field of performance and sports medicine, we have partnered with Sports Performance and Science Reports. It's a fantastic resource with many of the publications coming from professionals currently working in professional sports settings, so you can benefit from academia that's in a far more practical and applied way. If you head to informperformance.com forward slash reports, we will be listing their latest reports on a free access web-based platform. In today's episode, I will be speaking to Kiwanam Flat, a highly experienced S&C coach who I've no doubt many of you listeners will have heard of. Keir has recently turned his attention to the business side of coaching, supporting other coaches create sustainable and scalable coaching careers. You may have noticed we have included a couple of guests and conversations recently that compared to our usual style of technical topics have been more career focused. As is the case with this episode with Keir, our goal recently has been to shed some light on high performance options that sit outside of the traditional team contract model. The private sector and opportunities to support athletes is growing outside of these traditional team settings, so I hope it's of value to gain insights from highly experienced and very helpful practitioners like Keir, who can provide a constructive and honest account and insight for this growing side of our industry. This episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy to use system, the Force Frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the Force Frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. Informed Performance is a proud partner of HUMAC Norm by CSMI. By using the HUMAC Norm isokinetic system, you can see what you are treating. An isokinetic test measures maximum muscle capacity through range of motion. So when you're comparing an athlete's involved sides results to their uninvolved, this system makes it easy but objective to see where strength deficits exist to help you design a very efficient path to function. Then follow-up testing on the machine will confirm if your athlete or athletes are on the right path or if changes still need to be made. To learn more about the new HUMAC Norm and their refurbished machines, visit humacnorm.com. One last thing before we get into today's conversation. Keir, as you'll hear in today's episode, has developed a course called Strength Coach Money Moves. So as you're listening, if his course and his support is well-timed and appealing to you, then you can find a link for the course on the Informed Performance Instagram page if you head to the bio link. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed today's episode between myself and Keir. Keir, welcome to the show, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Just in case this is someone's uh, first encounter of you, um, I'm sure many have heard of you, but just in case it's someone's first time, can you uh, kind of go through your background and sort of give us context? Well, I think, like you said, I think it's unlikely that they haven't just because I'm, I refer to myself as internet chlamydia. <laughs> I'm everywhere, irritating, not going away. Um, but yeah, I guess the, uh, the brief summary of my career would be that I was a, a terrible athlete, but enthusiastic. And I wanted, once it was obvious I was not going to become a, a co- uh, sorry, an athlete, 
was like, right, what's the closest that I can get to the field and, you know, be a part of that environment and not have to have a real job. And I was good at the academics. So I decided, right, I'm going to be a strength coach because, you know, interested in science, started training to try and overcome being a terrible athlete and, you know, got a bug for training along the way. And, you know, I had a, a hiccup in 2004 when I tried to pursue a degree in psychology. And then I kind of dropped out after three months, worked here, and then went back to University of Leeds in 2005. I got my degree in sports science. Then I was like, right, everyone's got a degree. I want to stand out from the crowd. What's what's better than a degree? A master's degree. So then I did a, a master's degree at the University of Bolton. And I think just after the end of my second year at Bolton, I got a full-time unpaid internship at what was then London Wasps in the academy. So I took a year off and I worked very hard <laughs> at that. And I I got like a job in the second year of that for like 10K a year, um, which, you know, as you know, does not go very far in London and finished up the master's degree. And then I mentioned to you off air, like there was a period in my career from basically like the start of 2013 where it just went absolutely nuts. So I was unpaid intern, you know, effectively a, a paid intern, like 10K a year. Then they bumped me up to the head of Academy when Dan House, who is our mutual friend, was at Wasps. And I didn't want that. I threw my toys out the pram. So I actually took a pay cut to go be the head at Rotherham Titans in the championship, knowing that I was going to move to Australia in May of 2013. And just through a lot of luck, but then also looking back, think, you know, seeds that I'd planted, that was where my relationship with, uh, Argentina national rugby team began and I did a short stint with them came back to Sydney and suddenly all the teams that didn't want to talk to me when I arrived and said, you know, I want a meeting. Once I had international rugby on my resume CV, I got invited to be the two. Well, I got invited to interview for the under twenties gig at Sydney roosters, which I ended up getting even they had somebody lined up and they said, I did a good enough job to, to warrant getting that job. And within three weeks, I was the senior strength coach because they, they did a bunch of internal shuffling. And um, it was the most miserable six months of my career. I resigned, uh, went back cap in hand to Exos and said, I've made a mistake. Can I have any gig knowing or expecting that when you're at the bottom of the pile for Exos, you get sent to China. So China Chinese Olympic Association for them is like the bottom rung. So if you... If you're like, uh, yeah, it, it, I won't say top tier, but like if they like you and you've done more work for them, that's when you get the like Middle East, Europe, national soccer teams, all that kind of stuff. But it just happened that the guy that was due to replace me had dropped out. So I ended up becoming my own replacement. And that saw me through to the end of the 2015 World Cup with Argentina. And I had one more uh bite of the apple in japan because they offered me a bunch of money and said i got to work with like a bunch of uh, all blacks that had won the world cup so i thought you know travel money being able to check that off my off my list i did two years there and yeah i, I said offline like japan just sucked every last drop of enthusiasm that i had for the sport of rugby away from me and it was midway through that contract that i told my agent like don't even attempt to renegotiate or negotiate another another deal. Uh, and I decided, right, I'm going to move to America and try and work in the NFL. So 2018, 
moved to uh, University of Richmond with a view to working up to the NFL. Uh, immediately got a girl pregnant, <laughs> and she was in Tokyo. So I met her in Tokyo, and uh, I got her pregnant. And that prompted me to go to College of William & Mary because they waved the, the health insurance on my face. And, you know, as well, it was like I kind of got like the the wink and the nudge, like, hey, if you come here and the Olympic stuff, we might make you the head of football in three months, which they did. And that was like another thing that I had to check off. Like, I need to demonstrate to everyone, you know, I'm capable of running like a division one football program. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, 2018, 19, we had football season. So that was like the first go at football season and then COVID. And that was like, I think there's just a lot of things that came together in during COVID. And in September, October of 2020, I quit to go full-time on the websites. And that's what I've been doing since. Obviously a hell of a ride and a bit of a yeah. journeyman around the, the rugby teams. Had you, did you want to stay in rugby? Was that your like original intent or did you always kind of have the NFL as a, um, you know, the Holy Grail that you were pursuing along that road? It, it's wrong. But it doesn't, um, you're not going to dissuade people, but the prevailing view, certainly in Europe, and I think you'll attest to this, the idea is that if you can make it in the NFL, or you can make it in America, you can make it anywhere you want in Europe. Mm-hmm. Because we're just taught, I think, I think a lot of it is cultural, like media, politics, or that kind of stuff. You look to America as like the leader. And, you know, that was always like, I do, I do remember like when I started as an intern at Wasps in 2010, I, I wrote down, um, I want to be a head strength coach in the premiership by the age of 30. And, you know, I had, you had all these goals and stuff and I was at the world cup at 29. So I was like, fuck, what do I do now? And, you know, I'd kind of had, I'd, I'd signed a contract with Eagling after the world cup because the girl that I started seeing during the world cup was English. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to stay in England. But then it almost like, you know, like that Everest syndrome of like, you hear about these people that climb Everest and then they have to come back to their regular life. And they're like, fuck, what do I do now? And that was like a little bit of what I had where absolute dream come true. You know, every rugby player, when they start, wants to go to a World Cup. And, you know, I didn't go there as a player, but like I got to go along for all the fun, Mm. all the five-star hotels, international travel on the pitch, like, awesome experience but then it's like after that you're like oh i have to go back to the championship you know you have to be in the cold and the wet and all that kind of stuff and i think you know i probably would have run out of steam at ealing um but then japan it's like you get the shiny shiny like you know the money the the travel the new experiences like you know getting be to be able to say like oh, i've worked with this 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 all black um it probably gave me a little bit more runway, but I think ultimately I was on that path of like, what do I do now? Because, you know, I, I pretty much made the mistake of getting everything that I wanted out of my career. And again, it was wrong, but like what I did was I just moved the goalpost to be like, right. You know, if I, if I go to the NFL, you know, I'll be able to prove to everyone that not only can I do it in rugby, can also do it in football. And then they'll have to respect me, <laughs> which was wrong. Um, but yeah, it brought me another couple of years. So, 
Did you, have you along the way have you kind of seen I mean from personal experience I've seen this I'm wondering if you have this um at least transatlantic grass is greener syndrome I'm going to call it where in yeah. the UK everyone's looking at US colleges and pro teams huge facilities and thinking yeah. that's the best place in the world and then I've moved here and people in teams here will say what are the facilities like in England and, and practitioners in both countries want to do research trips or whatever they want to call it where they can go to the other country see some facilities uh, there yeah. seems to be this kind of grass is greener syndrome where everyone thinks the the other side of the continent has it sorted there, there are for sure things that other other areas in the world in the field do well so yeah. you know the kind of like cliche that i would say is if you want to do strength and power america yeah if you want uh you know, monitoring data science, Australia. I think we have a, a pretty decent model of physiology in Europe. Um, you know, maybe like the, 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 the work culture, maybe Asia at a push. And then I think, you know, specific to, you know, English football, I might say soccer and rugby is like, they've probably had a more earnest go at the, the high performance model than the American sports. Mm-hmm just because America is so insular and they have the habit of playing a lot of sports where they are the best in the world or they're the only people that play it. So they're not motivated to look outside. And, you know, with that said, there's still, there's, there's drawbacks to, to all of them. And there's a lot of things that are baked into the college system and the pro system in American sports that actually they're written under the guises of trying to protect athletes and they actually harm athletes. For example, CBAs uh, limiting access to athletes in the NFL. Like there's a reason they blow up. It's because they never do any proper training. Hmm. And the second they come back, because of the CBA, they have to rush. The load goes like this, they blow up. And, you know, like in the NCAA, you have the, the, the eight hour period and the 20 hour period. And of course, if you give any coach and say, right, this is your limit, what are they going to do? They're going to go up to the limit. So effectively, you get like a doubling, a more than doubling of load in a, in a single week. Uh, and that's that was written to protect athletes and coaches, which is BS. Yeah, yeah. I agreed. Um, one, one of the, just for like the listeners' context, one of the, the many reasons I wanted to get you on the show was um, with Informed Performance trying to string together some episodes where we break our normal tradition of going very technical on very nuanced physio, S&C, sports science topics. And trying to create some context on career options that are, are different. So we had Dan Howes on, obviously, yeah. recently talking about career development and planning. Um, and, and you're obviously doing some stuff now, which we'll, we'll get into in a second, that's um, uh, alternative, definitely, for a coach to pursue um, yeah. and supporting coaches. Um, can you kind of talk us through, I guess, w- what you're doing in, in brief right now and more importantly, kind of why you've exited full-time coaching to then go into more of like a business side of things? Well, I mean, in a nutshell, like the reason it all started was poverty because, you know, if you're, if you're a full-time unpaid intern, you're going to have to find ways to make money. And I kind of accidentally got into training people remotely, which was basically players that I work or players that I played with back in my hometown. I, you know, we trained together informally when I was there. Then when I moved to London, they basically started paying me 
10 pounds for eight weeks. And that, you know, that combined with the fact that, you know, if you, if you look at it on paper, it's kind of ridiculous. I went from being an intern to working with a tier one international team in three years. So my rugby career and credibility did this. And I was like, well, I'm dumb if I don't try and monetize it. Yeah. So that's when I, I started rugbystrengthcoach.com and I actually killed it this year. So no more rugby strength coach and we can talk about the reasons for it. But um, in addition to that, in 2015, I started what is now known as Strength Coach Network. So that is a, an education platform for field sport strength and conditioning coaches. And it's basically positioned as like a, you know, almost like a diametric opposite of UKSCA, NSCA, CSCCA, all those, because um, where I feel like those organizations fall short is they're not, they're serving the athletes more than they're serving the coaches. Mm -hmm. So when you teach someone run faster, jump higher, lift more weight and so on, the primary uh, beneficiary of that is the athlete. And unless to me, the coach feels the benefit in their own life. First and foremost, you're not serving the coach. So if you say that you serve coaches, you have to be providing education that they feel in their lives. And I would say that takes the form of real world education, not, you know, doing broomstick snatches with a stooge, um, networking, uh, career advice, money advice, and so on. And that's actually spawned uh, one primarily focus on right now. So strength coach network, I have staff doing it for me and a manager. And then where the bulk of my focus is right now is specifically on the money side. Um, because I think if you, if you ask most coaches or I can't speak to physios or, you know, rehab specialists, but certainly for strength coaches, if you gave them a magic wand and said, what do you want? They say to not be poor. <laughs> yeah, I want money. And, you know, I actually, I'd, I'd had a couple of conversations with a guy where he's like, listen, you need to, you need to put something out about this. And I almost didn't have the nerve to be like, oh, here's how you make money online because I don't view what I've been able to do as a success. So I actually waited until I grossed over a million dollars in side income revenue before I put the course out. So I'm actually right in the middle of a course called um, Strength Coach Money Moves. And now I'm kind of like, uh, putting that out under my own brand. So the brand is callmecare.com. Uh, it's almost like a, one of these because when I came to the States, you know, it was like, oh, he's just a rugby guy and stuff like that. And then, you know, I've come like with Strength Coach Network, it was like, oh, he's the SCN guy or like, oh, the meme guy and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, you can just call me Kier. And I'm, you know, I'm content to let the work stand for uh, stand by itself. And, uh, you know, I remember reading a, a quote, I think it was a video that I watched this year that really struck a chord with me, which is in order to become the next version of you, you almost have to be willing to kill the previous version of you. And that's kind of happened accidentally or just naturally throughout various stages of my career. And, um, yeah, I guess I, I did it on purpose this time. So it's, it's almost like getting rid of the, the performance stuff and, you know, making an honest attempt to be known more for the business stuff. That's, yeah. that's what I'm focusing on right now. And uh, I don't know about you. I've 
over the years, and I guess probably more so while I've been in the States, spoken to, you know, a lot of PTs, S&Cs who are in teams or at colleges and hopefully being well paid. And I think the nature of the, board, the nature of the beast, especially in sport is um, you don't have time to necessarily piece together the next thing. You're aware that um, your time could be up come the end of contract year or hopefully not any sooner. And you, you're aware you need to know what's kind of coming after the professional sports gigs, but you don't always have time. And I think the other thing is while you're enjoying the salary and security of being in a team role, it you're not necessarily always rushing to jump off the edge and see what's out there private wise and see what the financial situation is. It, I'll just say interrupt like it's, it's, no it's, not, it's fragility in disguise, but I'll, go yeah. ahead, ask your question. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just, I mean, I guess either in the context of yourself or, um, I don't know, anonymously what you've seen working with uh, and helping other coaches, how yeah. have you kind of, you know, what's your take on kind of that jump for people when they go from that contemplation phase of I'm going to leave employment to then, you know, I'm going to start something private or online or um, something that's not contracted at a team. It should not be a jump. Um, you know, here's the thing, like, think of the best coach you know or the best practitioner you know. I guarantee you they've probably been fired. Or if you think of the top five, it's probably like three or four of them have been fired, maybe five. Yeah. That's the best people that you know. They probably got fired for something that was out of their control mm-hmm. or that they just became a scapegoat for. And it's very, very different when you're a head coach and you get fired and you have $10 million left in your contract versus a hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand. Like if you, if you have three, 400 grand left in your contract as a strength coach, you're probably among the 1% of the 1% of our field. How long does that last when you've got a family? Two years? If that after tax. So relying on one source of income, you know, the business with one customer is run by an idiot and you're the CEO of you. Acknowledging the fact that most head sport coaches cannot even define what it is you do, let alone objectively evaluate your ability to do it. When they fire you, they're not going to live and die by the metrics. You know, it's always going to be they'll hire you for A, B, and C, and they'll fire you for D, E, and F. And, you know, the the magic roundabout, you are one head coach staffing change away from being fired, rightly or wrongly. And that's a really precarious position to be in. You know, one, to put your, your ability to feed your family in the hands of an individual like that and in at the mercy of a system like that. So I almost view it like an equation, which is whatever your monthly burn rate of money is, the proportion of that amount that's made up by side income is, I call it like when and flats ratio. Because if that amount of money exceeds your monthly expenses, you can survive not having a job indefinitely, which is, you know, like, have you read the book Anti, Anti-Fragile? I haven't, but I'll, I'll probably read it. It's, straight a, up. it's like a life-changing book, but it's like, you need to be the the person or the system that when bad things happen to you, it's not that you break or that you're impervious. You actually become stronger. So it's fragility, robustness, anti-fragility. Drop a, drop a teacup off a table, it breaks. Fragile. Drop a rock off a, off a table, nothing. Robust. Drop a human being off a table, give them two, you know, two, three days to recover, they get bigger and stronger. You know, plyometrics. 
So using that latter example, if I have a small side business that's bringing me money in, you know, maybe it just pays my rent each month as I'm a full-time coach. When they fire me now, instead of, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months now, maybe I have two years of runway if I tighten my belt. Maybe you just gave me the free time that I need to put my foot down on the business and, and ramp it up and actually become more successful yeah. um, than, than with that job. And, you know, I actually think that to go back to your point, it's, it shouldn't be a jump because it should already be in place. Yeah. yeah. What with the people that have been um, signing up to your course or people you've been working with, um, what's like the sort of typical profile of that coach or professional or the, the scenario that they find themselves in? If there is a typical. They probably already started to make money or attempted to make money on the side. Um, they have coached at a decent level and they have that scenario that I just described to you. They've already experienced it and they don't want to experience it again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just to, I, I want to kind of understand, and I want the listeners more importantly to understand yeah. what the course does and what the kind of process is, what, without kind of giving away your secret sauce what's the what's what's the process like what's the journey for someone you know when they sign up and they they go through that program with you let me uh, go through the modules so basically it's it's like a step-by-step of you know how do you build a successful online business as a or i'll say side business as a Mm. as a full-time coach the reason i say online is because when you're doing hours for dollars in front of people service, there's a time cap. So if you look at like, you know, it's 168 hours in a week, you're probably going to spend 40 to 60 hours at your job. Then you throw in, you know, sleep, food, family, socialization, all that kind of stuff. There's a real small amount of time that you have to make money if you're doing hours for dollars. And then for the most part, the market determines the price. So we, you know, you and I could both come roughly within the ballpark figure of like, how much can you charge for personal training or physiotherapy or this or that Mm. you can, you can tweak it a little bit with marketing and sales, but the price is fairly fixed. So you have fixed hours with a fixed price and normally with like fixed ability to scale that. So you might say, okay, well, nobody's going to pay me more than 150 bucks an hour for personal training, but now I can train two or three or four people but then you are limited by the space logistics, like all that kind of stuff does so-and-so schedule work. And even if you, you know, you manage to clear that hurdle, you're going to be really tired. So the whole point of having the money from the job is to make your life easier and better. And if you're doing hours for dollars in the daytime, hours for dollars in the evening, you're just exhausted. So Online business is one of those things where you take off the cap in terms of scale. You know, if you have, for example, a membership website, it's the same amount of work roughly if you have 10,000 members versus 10. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the ability to like leverage yourself. So when I, for example, post like a webinar, you know, I'll, I'll speak to the speaker, get recorded, upload it to the website, and then they're consuming at their leisure. I'm not delivering it. Um, being able to leverage things like 
video sales letters, email, and so on. Like that's like a digital version of yourself selling to to other people, and you know, ads, content, all that stuff. They're all marketing devices, and they're working around the clock. They don't get tired. You can you can scale them with more money infinitely. Um, it's just a much better way of taking the ceiling off uh, income. The downside is that it it's like an exponential. So if you if you look at when Joe Rogan sold the licensing rights to the Joe Rogan podcast, he was I think roughly about a thousand episodes, and he he gave the, the rights away for a hundred million dollars. So if my math is correct, it's about a hundred thousand dollars per episode. But when he did episode one, was it worth a hundred thousand? No, because it was him getting high with his friends. Two, no, three, no. But by episode 1000, it's worth $100 million. So clearly there's been this like hockey stick where you have to like really put the work in at the beginning and then it ramps up. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff I just described, I had to learn the hard way. So hopefully the, the rationale from the course is you get to piggyback on my mistakes that you'll get to where you want to go sooner, a little bit less time, a little bit less effort. And then the, the, the value proposition of the course is it's a thousand bucks and you get to make a thousand bucks in 10 weeks or I'll pay you the difference. So it should be risk neutral to anyone that does it. The worst outcome is that, you know, you invest time, time and effort and I'll give you a thousand bucks back and I don't want to. So I'm going to do my best to make sure you do a really good job. And then the best case scenario, you know, we have people we're in week eight to, to, uh, Monday will be week eight of this go around. And I've had people make back a thousand bucks in two days, two weeks. One guy made 15,000 in six weeks, you know, so it's, it's going well. And it's basically like an A to Z. So the modules are, we do a real like uh ready, fire, aim module where I'm like, right, here's how you do a flash sale in terms of, you know, training, uh, training products and services, 10 steps, mm-hmm. go do it. And then the next nine weeks is like the the how and the why of all that stuff that we talked about. So um, lifestyle design. So like working backwards from what it is you want to achieve. Um, how to, oh, sorry, business fundamentals, cultivating an audience, uh, product design, um, sales, email marketing, content, and um, social media, systems and technology, staffing and outsourcing. There's one more that I've forgotten, but yeah, that's basically it. And, and are most of the coaches, um, are they trying to scale their coaching? Obviously, you set up a, um, you've had coaching businesses, I guess, and then also you've got the, yeah. the educational business. Are they trying to scale out their coaching sort of nine times out of 10? Um, I think, I think it, it would kind of like, it if I think about it, there's maybe like three big buckets. One is the people that are just like starting to get to that burnout. So when you, when you start out, you have nothing but time. Yeah. So you don't mind doing everything manually, everything the inefficient way you do every single part of the business. But then as you um, start to grow the business, you start to eat into that amount of time that you have available. And there's, there's always going to be this push pull within the business. So this is like the second half people. So there's the, I have no idea what to do. Tell me what to do. 
And then there's like another group of people where they've started to get to that point and they're like, you know, getting pulled in all these different directions. So it's being able to build automation processes uh, into their business so that they're not like having to worry about on the business, in the business. You know, am I delivering training or am I selling training? Am I, you know, am I marketing or am I working on products and stuff like that? And um, then I think once you've kind of done that, then it's like the the people that are a little bit more experienced and really want to like put their foot down and get all the pieces working together. And do most of these people kind of eventually want to exit full-time jobs with coaching? Obviously we've kind of mentioned it earlier as being or starting as a, as a side thing. Do a lot of them want it to sort of take over the main thing or do they want it to be, um, you know, something that runs parallel? I don't know. I don't know, but I think, can I tell you, I, I got this weird theory about Donald Trump. You know how he's like, he's super fucking rude and just says whatever he wants. You know why? It's because nobody has ever been able, or what my theory is, it's because nobody has ever been able to hold anything over him. He knows he's going to be fine. He's got all the money he wants. It's, you know, he could spend whatever for the rest of his life and no one is ever going to be able to take anything away from him or tell him no. And I, I believe that with employed coaches, there's always the potential that what they say and do isn't a reflection of what they think or what they want to do. They're mm. always running that calculus of like, oh, what happens if I upset someone? What happens if they take my job away from me and so on? So even if you want to stay in full-time coaching, I think the most honest coach that you can be and the most authentic and you're doing it for the sake of the work and you're going to do your best work is where they could take that job away from you tomorrow and you wouldn't even feel it. So I think... Like I've said to to friends of mine who are coaches before, like the best reason to coach is just because you want to. And, you know, even if people don't want to leave full-time coaching, I would love to help as many people as possible get to that point. Uh, because there there is, I'm sure you've encountered it in America, there is a lot of fear. There's a massive long line outside the nightclub of people waiting to get in and they'll pay a, pri a higher price than you to get in. And everyone's afraid of getting kicked out of the nightclub. And, mm. you know, a, a one book that absolutely changed my life it is an absolute head fuck of a book. It was written in 1999. Funnily enough, by J Jacob Rees-Mogg's father, who used to be the editor of The Times. He's one of the co-authors. In 1999, they predicted remote working, Bitcoin, tax havens, like all this stuff. It's, it's a really prophetic book. But it talks about how the more human freedom that you create, the the higher quality of life people are able to live. So extreme examples would be like government oppression, seizing your, your possessions, today's society, cancellation, all this kind of stuff. And it talks about how freer societies are ones in which the cost of doing violence against citizens is extremely high. So they talk about, you know, the American revolution, for example, it was the ability to mass manufacture firearms at a low price that allowed the citizens to arm themselves that they were able to put up a fight against the British army. Had that not mm -hmm. been the case, they would have, you know, been obliterated. So the, the harder you can make it 
for people to do violence against you, the more freer and the higher quality life you're going to live. So do I want to be, you know, a uh, you know, 50 kilo weakling that doesn't know how to fight? Or do I want to be a hundred kilo black belt? People are going to try and beat me up more if I'm the skinny guy. So then you realize that violence isn't just physical. Violence is just basically the imposition of somebody's will against you without your consent. Financially, politically, socially, you know, all these, you know, geographically, all these different things. And at least from a money perspective, working for yourself and becoming financially independent is like the most financially dangerous thing that you can do with regard to other people. They will just not fuck with you. <laughs> I mean, what you were saying a minute ago really resonated with me about um, being authentic. And I think what it made me think of as, as, a, as someone that works in physio is, yeah. Um, the importance of having a clear head because in a sports yeah. environment, you're always going to be asked, when will the player be back? As like the most cliche return to play example. Yeah. And, and you always tell them extra. <laughs> and, and I think like, especially in pro sport, those questions are, they're very hot questions. They're important. And the higher up in sport you go, the more stakeholders there is and the more complex the potential um, politics and optics can be for it. So I think if you yeah. can answer it first and foremost, as a clinician that's thinking clinically because you have the comfort and confidence of only thinking of that and not making yourself a complicated stakeholder in the injury and the player and the team, you know, it can only help. So, you know, let alone as a coach, but just as a physio, that kind of, that really resonated with me. So. Look at college football. I mean, just the, the amount of sycophantic pantomiming behavior, not going to name names, but it comes from, the expectation placed on them by the person signing their check. That's why they behave like that. Because they're worried that if they don't behave like that, they're not going to get the check. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they complain when they get perceived to be a certain way. But have you ever seen the movie uh, Lucky Number 11? Not yet, no. Right, there's this quote from Ben Kingsley. And it's like, he goes, the first time somebody calls you a, a jerk, you punch him in the mouth. And then the second time they call you a jerk, you know, you kick him in the leg. He goes, the third time they call you, uh, sorry, you, sorry, third, they call you a horse. The first time they call you a horse, you call him a jerk. The second time they call you a horse, punch him in the mouth. The third time they call you a horse, it's time to go uh, shopping for a saddle. And that is like, if you pantomime and become a sideline clown and you behave a certain way and because you're expected to, don't complain when people treat you like a clown. And it's, it's out of fear it's out of a desire for money and it's out of a fear or it's out of the desire for security, which is if I play the role, they won't find me. I, I think this, this, this episode has made me realize I live under a rock because you've, you've questioned me on whether I've uh, read a book and watched a movie and I've failed on both so far. So how old are we? Are we the same age? I'm 34. 30. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit older. There you go. Okay. I've got a couple of years or whatever it is. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm really aware of time. Where's the best place for people to find you? And I know you've changed handles and where can people find the course and all kind of updates and things from you? Course, callmecare.com. Uh, Strength Coach Network, strengthcoachnetwork.com. And if you just search both those terms on uh, social media. Cool. Well, well, we'll link that in the show notes. And Kia, I'm really, really, really appreciative from a selfish perspective that I got to ask you all the questions that I want and hopefully all the listeners will enjoy as well. Um, but no, thanks for your time and, um, and, and your honesty throughout. Cheers.